This is another CQ Blind Hams podcast. Welcome everyone to CQ Blind Hams Roundtable. We're doing a follow-up on the Open GD77 project. And uh, we'll, uh, with my co-host Russ, uh, well, my name is Joel, W0CAS, and located in East Tennessee. And over to you, Russ. Hi, uh, this is Russ, KN4MLR, and I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. So back to you, Joel. All right. And today's guest is Ian Spencer. Uh, let me get his call sign, DJ0HF, and you're over in uh, Germany. Yes, I certainly am. Yes, the name's Ian, and I'm located near Cologne here in Germany. My German call is Delta Juliet Zero Hotel Fox, a really nice suffix. And I also have an English call, uh, Golf 3 Uniform Lima Oscar. Oh, good. And our other guest today is Gina, M0EBP. I got it, Gina. Uh, welcome. Hi, Where are you from? So, sorry, Joe. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm... Gina, M0, Echo, Bravo, Papa, and I'm in the UK, uh, in Preston, Lancashire. That's the northwest of England. Oh, great. Uh, we had a little humming on somebody's mic. It might have been yours, Gina, but I'm not sure. So uh, what we're going to do now is proceed with our, our questions that we have. Uh, the first one is, uh, we'll pass it out to uh, Ian. Why the GD77? Why do you think the GD77 happens to be the lucky radio that this great project was started with? Okay, I could say it's the best radio, but maybe it's the cheapest. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, the, the project actually started a, a long time ago, and it wasn't with uh, Roger, who's done most of the late development. It was with a guy called Kai, who's a German uh, amateur. His call sign, uh, Delta Golf 4 Kilo uh, Lima Uniform. And he chose the GD77 because there was a lot of information about the microprocessor it uses and some of the other chips, which meant it was, it was easier to get into it because uh, the first thing that had to be done was everyone had to find out how the GD77 worked. And that meant decompiling the whole firmware. Now, that's really, really difficult because after you've decompiled firmware or software, you end up with millions of instructions, but you have no idea what they do. And so you see uh, the, the firmware sending a value to the vocoder, like 120 or something, but you've got no idea why or what it's doing. And so it took a long, long time to sort that out. And uh, uh, the project sort of gradually developed because OpenGD77 isn't a modified radio oddity firmware. It is completely new firmware written from scratch. Wow, that's amazing that they, uh, that they went to those efforts to be able to reverse engineer the firmware and be able to uh, make it work and work as well as it did. Okay, Russ, you have a, a question? Uh, this one's for both Gina and Ian. Uh, if you could give us a little bit of a, a background, uh, your individual backgrounds, uh, what type of uh, work that you did or are currently doing, and maybe a little description of your equipment that you're using, uh, that would kind of fill it in for us. So uh, Gina, let's, let's start with you this time. I had an interest in, in, in radio um, from my school days, really, um, but didn't uh, get to, to play radio that much. Uh, I started work, my work life in 
manual work, uh, working in the factory. Most of my family come from uh, uh, the leather industry. Uh, being born in Northampton uh, is renowned for its uh, shoes, or used to be, and um, so my family come from a shoemaking background. Um, I've never worked in the shoe industry, but I uh, did work in light engineering. And I found myself in sheltered workshop packing soap and really got rather frustrated with, with that and thought there had to be more to do with life than packing soap. So I undertook a uh, evening class and studied sociology and uh, managed that quite well. Um, I had uh, the right support from the tutor who uh, read material for me onto cassette tape back in those days. This was uh, 1988. And um, so I, uh, after getting that qualification, I went to Loughborough Vocational College, uh, which is run by the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And that's where I got to learn how to use a computer um, with uh, HAL 4 and the, the Dolphin uh, speech synthesizer which really sounds like if you haven't heard one sounds like uh, e-speak very much like that but in the 19 uh, early 1990 that was uh, you know it was the thing and uh, so I was taught how to use DOS and WordPerfect and database 3 and that sort of thing so my interest with uh, computing uh, took up from there and then, of course, it progressed on to Windows, and I, I self-taught myself Windows. Uh, from the uh, vocational college, I went to a um, mainstream, my local mainstream college, and did a business and finance course, which gave me then the qualifications to go to university. I'd um, studied counselling as, as an evening class as well and thought I'd like to learn more about psychology. So uh, I uh, graduated with an applied psychology degree. And um, my final project was on um, uh, suicidality, self-harming behaviours and depression, and exploring the uh, correlations between those. So uh, back in the you know, late 90s, you know, this was a sort of interest there. Uh, well, to some extent still is, but I think uh, the correlations are, are fully understood from, uh, you know, more recent uh, research. Um, and then since, since then, I've had one job where I designed a, a, a research project to see how uh, disabled people fared with um, uh, services for... Um, shall we say mature adults, uh, it was around uh, uh, accessing uh, sexual health um, information, that sort oh. of thing. So oh, okay. I set up I a, a research project uh, on, on, on doing that. Um, and I, I think that's, that, that's really it. Most of the time I've just sat at home um, uh, playing uh, computers. I did try to do a degree in computing um and uh, software engineering rather and uh, i flew through the first year then the second year when it came on to working with 
graphical user interfaces, um, things got rather difficult. The software that they were using wasn't accessible. Um, one of the main things was they did research where they um, used the circuit board with LEDs on it and got the students to compile code so that the lights lit up on this circuit board in a particular sequence. They are hooked up obviously to the serial port and um, they worked on uh, getting uh, different uh, bleeps to make uh, uh, f for me uh, and they hadn't really researched that I couldn't even access the, the software. It just wasn't uh, uh, and there was nothing there, no, no script, and even JAWS scripters couldn't uh, write any script so that I could actually write the code and use this software to, to make my, my, my board bleep or, or um, buzz in my um, case. So I had to uh, leave that course and uh, uh, I, I, I stayed away from coding or any, any scripting or anything like that and um, so it's sort of recently that I've started looking into that but it didn't not my confidence um, so yeah that, I think that's enough about me <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah that's very fascinating uh, uh, history you have there Gina from uh, from your uh, entry level into the work and then going through all your man uh, you guys have must have a, a, a you said a college or university for 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 uh, a visually impaired. That's something the United States really needs. We need a central college that we can send. You know, when get out, when blind people graduate high school, you can send them to a, just a college and have several vocations set up and and let them learn. And or us, uh, I wasn't available. We had to go to a normal college if if we went to college. Uh, but that's very fascinating that, uh, that you have a college uh, in the UK specifically the visually impaired. Okay, Ian, let's uh, let's hear your uh, work background. Uh, uh, seems like you're in the computer field from from way back. <laughs> way way back. Um, yeah, for me, um, everything started back in uh, the 1950s, really, or the mid 50s. Um, are you hearing me? Okay. Sound great. Oh, okay. Um, it's uh, the mid-50s. I, I was eight years old, and I got interested in tuning around on my parents' radio receiver, and I heard people talking to each other. And what I later learned was the 40-meter band, and an uncle explained to me that these were radio amateurs and that they had their own transmitters that could talk around the world, and it blew my mind. I mean, it was the mid-1950s. I was eight years old. Most people didn't even have a telephone, and these people had transmitters and were talking around the world. I knew from that moment on I wanted to be a radio amateur. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it, it also shaped the whole rest of my life, because when I got to 15, I was becoming extremely frustrated at school. I wasn't learning what I wanted to learn, which was basically electronics and radio. And I told my parents I was going to leave school. And they were not happy, as <laughs> you can oh, guess. <laughs> um, but um, they said to me, because I was obviously very insistent, if you can get a good apprenticeship, then we'll allow you to leave. And I managed to get an apprenticeship with International Telegraphs. Uh, and that's one of the biggest communication companies in the world at that time uh, in London. And they let me leave. And I trained with them. And I learned to send Morse at high speed. At the time, I could manage 40-odd words a minute. Today, not so much. <laughs> and uh, I learned to touch type. And I then worked in their control room in London. 
And um, it was interesting. We talked to engineers all around the world using teleprinters, but we talked to our receiving stations in the UK, and we had quite a few of them with Morse. Morse was a much more efficient system than you might think because each of the receiving stations used a different audio tone. So I could be talking to the receiving station in Brentwood and hear at the same time, uh, for, for example, that Somerton had a problem and I could then switch to Somerton, something you couldn't do if you were using a teleprinter because I could actually be watching or listening to three different things at the same time. Um, and gradually, I moved away from the control room, more into electronic switching and then computers. And in 1970, I went to work for Honeywell Information Systems, a good American company, um, teaching hardware and software at their international school in London. And the German part of the firm used to bring me over to Germany when they had problems. They'd say to the customer, we're bringing a specialist from England. <laughs> I wasn't always a specialist, but it was cheaper to bring me from England than it was to bring somebody from America. And in 1974, the German part of the company asked if I'd be prepared to come and work for them full time. And uh, we did. And originally it was sort of planned for maybe three to five years, but we've now been in Germany for 46 years. So uh, wow. you know, we're really settled. Um, and I stayed with the company, but the company changed. Um, uh, a French company, Bull, bought shares in the whole company and eventually Bull took it over. So I ended up working for a French company, not a, an American one. And I went from teaching to being training method specialist. And then I went on uh, from that to lead a, a product development group. And then I became the, uh, uh, the support manager for Germany for micros and, and uh, communications. And the last few years before I left the company, I was responsible for technical purchasing, but I'm now retired. And so I'm enjoying a much more leisurely life as a, as a, re a retiree. Playing radio, enjoying it. That's great. What do you have in your station as far as uh, uh, HTs, uh, mobiles, uh, uh, HF rigs? Uh, you want to, uh, Jenny, you want to try to answer this one and see how your audio sounded? Okay. What I have in my shack, I own a TS2000, um, but uh, it mainly stays packed away in a box because. Uh, I only have a Diamond V2000 up on the roof and uh, I don't have any uh, space to put any HF antennas up. I obviously have the GD77 and uh, a little bit of a redundant GD77S. Uh, I have a ICOM E90 handy and I, I actually also have a Yaesu 450D but again, because it's a HF radio, <laughs> it, that stays packed away, really. So not much of a shack here at this oh, end. No. What kind of hotspot? Do you have a hotspot? Uh, open spot, too. And yeah. I do also just recently took delivery of an, an, another um, jumbo spot because uh, I, I want to be able to use... Um, some of the, or access some of the Phoenix uh, repeaters and, and things here on a different uh, network. So have one me hotspot on for Brandmeister talk, talk groups and uh, the uh, PyStar on um, uh, DMR plus etc. That's good. I have a open spot too and a home homemade PyStar uh, built on a Raspberry Pi three and they work great. So you're going to enjoy that. Okay, uh, Ian, what uh, what do you have in your station? I believe we 
Okay, here I've got um, an Elecraft KX3, which feeds a small amplifier, and that's the main station. Um, also, I have a quite long in the tooth, uh, Yezu FT847. Uh, the truth is, the receiver in the KX3, it is better than the 847, but I love the 847. I mean, it's such a versatile rig, um, and it covers just about everything, and uh, it's got lots of buttons, which makes it a lot of fun to use. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've got those two as the main rigs. And then, of course, I've got handies like uh, the Radio Oddity GD77 for obvious reasons. And also, I've got a Retavis RT3, which is like the ND380. Um, I don't do much VHF, UHF, except for DMR. Um, and I've got um, a jumbo spot, which I use mainly. And I've also got uh, much older, a DV4 Mini, um, which is running with the new MMDVM firmware. And so that, that's quite useful too. So I quite often use the DV4 Mini to monitor one network and the uh, Jumbo Spot to monitor another. Oh, that's great. All right, Russ, you have a question for me? Oh, let's see. The next one up, i just reward a little bit. But um, now that you've, you've made quite a bit of progress uh, in contributions over the past month or so, if you had to do over again, would you jump back into this bag of worms or would you uh, take a pass on it? Uh, Gina, what uh, what have been your experiences over the past few months with working with this project? For me, it's actually fitted in quite nicely with lockdown and things. And just having a focus, it's been brilliant for me. Um, maybe uh, uh, Ian would uh, see things slightly differently because I did put a lot of pressure upon him at, at times. But uh, no, it, give, it gave me a focus. And so I'm, I much enjoyed it. And would I do it again? Most certainly. Okay. Very good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Ian, uh, do you want to add anything to that? Well, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> um, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that I'd say, yes, I'll do it all again in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, actually, it was a lot of hard work, and there were times near the beginning when I wasn't even sure it was going to be successful, uh, because I wanted to not just make the uh, the uh, Radioality GD77 usable by Blind Ham. I wanted to empower Blind Hams to be able to do everything themselves. That means install the software, upload the firmware, upload the voice prompts, create a code plug. And creating a code plug, some sighted amateurs have problems with that. And then uploading the code plug, of course, and then actually using the radio. And to do that, everything had to be very, very detailed. And I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a sighted person, which means that... Um, my right hand is welded to the mouse, okay? Um, and so suddenly I was in a world where I had no monitor and no mice, mouse. And uh, uh, in fact, one, one amateur said to me, uh, you're a sighted person, you can't possibly know what a blind hand needs. And he might've been right, but I had a secret weapon and that was Gina. Uh -huh. um, Good job. Yeah, yeah, and so I'd be struggling with NVDA and uh, narrator and I'd, I'd send an email to Gina and say, look, it seems to work like this. And she said, yes, it does, but there's a, there's a better way, you know? And, or I'd say, I can't get it to do this at all. And Gina would say, yeah, if we do this. And I gradually managed to graduate from absolutely hopeless at screen readers to being sort of beginner level. And sometimes of course we hit a brick wall. Uh, sometimes we reach something where it didn't matter which screen read you used, you couldn't get it to work. Um, and I didn't want to use JAWS and scripts, even though even there, some of it wouldn't work. Um, I wanted it to work with every screen reader. That, that means narrator, NVDA, JAWS. 
And so I'd have to go back to Roger and say, Roger, this is impossible for a blind ham. This cannot work. Uh, can you do this? And he was great. He then uh, put extra things into the uh, CPS. And so we managed to get past that brick wall and then we motored on until we hit the next brick wall. But we got there in the end. Wow. And it's, it's been a great project. And we're so thankful. And you, you might not ever know. Well, you could possibly know how many people, and I, I'll ask that question later. But uh, there was a major re uh, release update on the 20th of June. And I was going to ask uh, if you could give just a few of the uh, few of the new features that were released in that update. And, uh, and we have a little minor update uh, this weekend. And maybe you can mention a couple of things that happened then. Yes, sure, Joel. No problem. Um, the initial update, the, the initial release was um, on the 10th of June, and it was an initial release. It worked. Um, all the instructions were there to install everything, but it was only voicing the talk groups and um, and the channels basically. And then there was an update on the 13th where we brought in the up uh, the uh, voicing for all of the menu or nearly all of the menu items, and that's the way it stayed until the 20th. Because what we then had was a package which worked. You could install everything, you could upload your code plug, you could use it on DMR, use it on FM, everything was working. But it was a little bit restricted. You could only have one zone and only have one talk group list, which for many people would be more than enough because you only, as you know, you only need one channel for each repeater. And so it's not, uh, not a problem but I knew that some people would like to have the DMR channels in one zone maybe the analog channels in another zone and so on the 20th we released uh, a new version which had a lot more uh, support in the CPS to allow people to create multiple zones and multiple talk group lists um, that was the major and also the voicing was changed so there were three different levels uh, you could have a level where it only did the voicing if you press the button Another one called follow on, which meant if you press one button after another, it would automatically switch to the new button. And the third one, it voices everything all the time. And so you could choose whichever one uh, you felt most comfortable with. And That's then, on the, yeah, I know for quite a lot of people, though we didn't expect that because it was actually requested by a sighted person, but um, <laughs> that's the way it works out. Um, on the 23rd, I'd found a problem on NVDA and JAWS that inserting new zones um, was a problem. I could get around it by telling people to hit the insert button twice, but I asked Roger if he could add a new hot key sequence, that is control and letter I to insert a zone and a talk group list. And he did that and I released that on the 23rd and uh, that, um, that solved the problem completely. So we then had a full, hopefully a full working package but of course, Roger never sleeps. Um, he's, he, he works 24 hours a day. And on the 27th, I made a small update uh, because he added something to the last herd. And people have enjoyed using the last herd. You can go to the last herd by holding the blue SK2 button at the bottom and hitting four. And then you can hear uh, it voiced, who have you heard on this repeater in the last sort of half an hour or so? And what it could do then do is, if when it was voicing somebody's call sign, you hit the, uh, the blue button, then it would set up a personal call to that, uh, that person, a private call. And so if you then press the PTT, you'd be making what's called a private call just to that person. And so that was the change that took place on the 27th. And that was the last uh, uh, big change. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, that that feature I haven't heard about. That that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Russ, what would be the what's your next question? I think you're next in line. But uh, you know, um, almost from the beginning of this conversation, everything seems to be going to Roger Clark, and it. Uh, I, I've always never been one to always to want to put all my eggs in one basket. What happens if the if Roger Clark were to say, "I'm done with this"? Or do you think that there's a possibility of bringing in other contributors to the project so that so that it would continue on? I'd hate for this just to die someplace along the line because, um, you know, Roger Clark says again, I. I don't want to work with it anymore. It's been taking up too much of my time. I've seen that happen, and uh, you know it just goes nowhere from there. Do you know if there's any any possibility that other programmers could get into this? I know it's open source, and uh, but at the same time, there has to be. We would like to have a way of drawing other contributors into the project to kind of ensure its longevity. Uh, Ian, that may be more in your area. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Roger is a, is a very important person in the project, as Kai was when it all started, of course. And it would be a major blow if he, uh, if he left the project. That said, the version that we've got now, not just for blind hands, but the version we've got now is really good. I mean, it's got loads of functionality. And if we had to live with that for the rest of the life of the GD77, I think most people would be quite happy. That said, uh, changes are made and improvements are made and there are still bugs in the uh, in the firmware it's not completely bug free but um, Roger is not working uh, completely alone although I don't normally contribute to um, the the firmware as such I leave it for Roger to do I do understand how a lot of the firmware works I was a programmer um, and uh, there are others for example Daniel F1 RMB has done a lot of work on the other versions like the RD5R version and the DM1801 and understands exactly how it all works. But there are others. There's um, EW1EDG, uh, Dimitri, I think his name is. There's G4EML, Colin. There's DL4LEX, Alex. There are a number of people that have contributed and could contribute or continue contributing if something happened. But um, we're never actually going to let Roger go. He's, um, he's chained <laughs> to the desk. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that is... Uh... It is somewhat comforting. So, uh, let's see if uh, we can pause it just for a second. Uh, yeah, can I just, just can, can I just ask? Can I just ask? Is my audio okay? Because I'm on sounds, DSL. Sounds good. Yes, okay. it sounds very good. Uh, uh, Joel, what? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering if uh, if uh, Radiotity is did any any contributing to the project or. Has uh, they voiced any interest in it? Uh, there's one answer to that one, and that's no. Um, in the very early days, uh, when um, the group were writing the new CPS, someone from Radio Oddity contacted them, seemed to be more worried that they were stealing the CPS. Um, but um, they weren't, because the whole thing, the CPS, although it looks like the Radio Oddity one, it isn't. It's been completely written from scratch. And, of course, the firmware has all been written from scratch. Uh, but other than that, Radio Odyssey has shown no interest. Joel, I, uh, uh, you have a question about the squelch, which I think it'd probably be better if you could explain that one than, than me. Could, 
You want to go ahead with that one? Yeah, we've had uh, had some guys saying that uh, they go through the menu and they try to adjust the squelts from the menu and it doesn't work. Uh, have you found that to be an issue or have you heard anyone else that has that? And then one guy figured a workaround when you're in an analog channel like Simplex and you want to adjust the squelch, if you just hit the right and left arrow key, it, it raises and lowers the squelch. Have you, uh, have you noticed that, Ian? Okay, I can say something about that. Um, I have to admit there's a bug in the firmware, okay? Um, you can use the squelch. The way it works is in the menus, there's a squelch setting for VHF for 220 megahertz and another one for UHF. And they're normally set at 45%, which is mostly fine. You can always use the left and right arrow keys when you're in FM mode to reduce or increase the squelch level. So that's always there. But when you switch to a channel, it always takes the default from those that 45% that's in the menus. Now you can go into the menus and you can change the squelch to anything you want and that will become the new default. But there's a bug. Um, it works providing you're in the first zone. If you're in the first zone, um, then you can, for example, turn the squelch down to 20%. And from then on, it will work everywhere. I can demonstrate it for you if you like. I'll turn it on. Sure. Um, I'm now going to put the radio into, into FM mode. And you don't hear anything because the squelch is at 45%. And I'm now going into the menus. Menu, zone, display options. And I'm going to options. Options. And I'm percent and i'm going to uhf squelch i'll, I'll do vhf, VHF squelch I've, I've, got, five I've gone to vhf squelch now i'm going to reduce that to zero v, 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 vhf squelch zero percent now i'm holding the blue button and hitting green to store this value and nothing appears to have happened at the moment but if i go to um an analog channel I'm on, I'm on zero. I'm on zero percent. Okay, and it's now set at zero percent. So all the analog channels on VHF will all be without squelch. And if I press the right arrow button, and I've now squelched it. Yeah, I'm up to about thirty percent. So you can do it if you're in FM mode, and you're on the first zone. If you change the squelch level and then hold the blue button, SK2, the bottom button on the left-hand side, and hit the green out key, it will save that new squelch setting, and it will oh. then work on all zones. But if you try to do it when you're on the second zone, uh, then it doesn't work at the moment. There is a bug. But if you, gotta, if you do it on the first zone and you go to the second zone, uh, it, it goes back to the default. Or does yeah, it, use it, well, it then uses step. your it then uses your new default. So oh, if you set, okay. if you so set, you the set it in zone one, got it. You set it in zone one, then it will be used everywhere. Good deal. But it is a bug. Yeah. Well, or a, it's a feature. It's a feature. <laughs> it's a feature. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, Ian, you 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 mentioned something in your explanation there that I saw come up on the the blind hams mailing list, and that was the. 220 megahertz range or band uh does the 77 operate at that on that band it does it's not as sensitive as it is on 430 and 144 so you need a relatively good signal from your 220 repeater 
and the power levels are not properly calibrated. So, you know, if, if you think you're getting five watts, you may be getting two watts, okay? Um, but it does work. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you have a feel for how many times your package, the package being the firmware, the CPS, and the uh, voice packs, how many times you've uh, they've been downloaded from your site? Yeah, I, I looked a couple of days ago, um, or yesterday, I think, actually. I wrote a program a long time ago uh, to analyze the traffic on my website, and it told, told me then that there have been just over 1,000 accesses to uh, the <laughs> right. web page, yeah, <laughs> and over 600 downloads. Okay, in fact, over, I think, no, 680, I think it said, uh, downloads. Um, obviously, that's not 680 different people because uh, people have downloaded one version, then, then the next version, and so on. My guess is we're at around 150 or so. That's pretty that's still That's still a lot. That's, that's a great number for uh, the. Yeah, I mean, for the blind community and then for just one radio, that, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's not just um, the UK and, and America either. There have been quite a lot of downloads yeah. from France, Italy, Spain, Germany, and also, I think I said the other day, a, a couple from Japan. No. Very good. An international effort. Joel, go ahead with the uh, your next question. Uh, it came up the other day. Can someone, when they're when they are out in the field, and they create a, a channel, can they name it from the front panel using an alphabetical, uh, you know, like the old cell phones? Uh, the answer to that is yes. Um, but uh, the longer answer is, I'm not sure it's a good idea. Um, let, let me just try and do it for you to uh, give you a, a, a flavor of what the problem is. Uh, one moment, I just have to get back to something I can change easily. So I've got, um, I've got here a, a channel called New. Channel N E W. Okay, so I want to change that, okay? So, I, whoops, I would help if I press the right button. If I hold the blue key and press four. Channel details, N, E, W. So I'm on channel details and the name is new. Okay. Now, if I hold the blue key and hit the left arrow, I can delete those letters. T, X, whoops. four. Now, as I say, it's, um, it's a little bit buggy. Okay. Um, so I'm warning you. Channel details, T, X, four, N, E. W. So I try again. Hold the blue key, left arrow key. N, e. So I've deleted the W. N. I've deleted the E, and now I've deleted the N. Now the the number keys are also letter keys, and so two is ABC, three is DEF, four is GHI, five is JKL, six is MNO, seven is PQRS, eight is TUV, and nine is WXYZ, and zero is space. And so it's very much like a, a phone. So I'm going to change the name to test. So I'm going to hit the eight key twice. Whoops, once too much. I've changed it to U. Hang on a moment. I told you it's not easy. I hit it once. So I've got T. Okay, so I've got T. Now I'm going to have to hit it twice to get E. So it pronounces the whole thing, not just the letter I'm pressing, okay, which can be very confusing. And so if I want an S, I've got to do it four times on the seven. And then I'm going to do the T again. T E T E S T. 
and I've got the word test. Now I can save that, okay, by holding the blue button, hitting the green, and that channel is now called test. But um, it's not that easy. I'd rather go into the CPS. Yes, that's what I, that's what I told the person. I said, just name it with number one, and you get home, change it in the CPS. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, but, you know, there, like I said before, there's guys who wants to test everything and find out what you can and can't do. And they're going to find bugs. And uh, that's, that's what, they, that's what, their, that's what yeah. their hobby is, finding yeah. bugs and see if they can fix it. Yeah, sure. And Roger's not quite happy when people find bugs because he knows there are bugs. We all know there are bugs. So we, when you write such complex software, there are always going to be bugs. And uh, in fact, in the new release, there's uh, some bugs uh, cleaned out. For example, uh, Chris, who likes to find bugs uh, in, in Canada there, um, said that on some of the options, when you were going through them very quickly, it would stutter. And, uh, that's, and Roger did some work on that to, uh, to improve that. Oh, great. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think, I think that could be, I thought it was possibly because of the, the CPU, uh, was a little underpowered and it couldn't handle the speech that fast. That's, that's one of the things I thought. Well, I mean, the CPU, the CPU is, uh, being pushed to the limit. <laughs> okay. Rush, you got the last question? I got the last one. I guess we've kind of answered it in a way, but, um, how long has, Roger been working or how long has it been been involved in the open GT 77 project? I mean, quite a long time. Um, as I say, it started two and a half, three years ago in reality, but it was the German guy, Kai, uh, G4, uh, sorry, DG4 KLU who did most of the initial work. And by about June of last year, Roger was working in it before that. Um, Kai had got what was called tier one working. Now, tier one means that you can transmit and receive DMR signals, but you can't handle time slots. So it actually worked very well with hotspots, but you couldn't use it on a repeater because if you use a radio on a repeater that's tier one, it blocks time slot one and time slot two. And so you were, you know, you were not going to be popular if you used it on a repeater. And Kai left about this time, left the project uh, for you know, reasons that uh, were important to Kai. And, and Roger took over as the chief developer and he made this massive leap in that he managed to get the software working or the firmware working on tier two, which meant it did indeed work correctly with time slot one and time slot two. And he's basically been developing the software from there. Um, as I think from the initial start it was two and a half, three years ago. But you have to remember a lot of the early stuff was not actually writing firmware. It was trying to understand how the old firmware worked with the GD77. Yeah, that's the amazing part. Uh, you you were telling earlier about uh, how they did that, where they actually connected wires to the circuit boards and and the different components and run the code and figured out where they went to. That that just blows my mind that, that someone was dedicated to a project that they would just basically destroy a radio to oh, to find out what happens when the code goes a certain direction. <laughs> I think Rod just destroyed more than one and I know a number <laughs> a number of his radios are covered in wires. What does Roger do? I mean, that's almost uh, a dumb question to say what does he do full time? Sounds like he works on the project full time, but what is is his uh full time occupation? Um he's an IT project developer. Okay. Uh, well he is gifted <laughs> yeah i'd use yes. the word genius myself but yeah i none of us would disagree with that yeah 
Well, that's all of our questions, uh, except I think we've, we've kind of grazed over one. Uh, do you see any any new features to be looked that we should look forward to in the future for the project that Roger may be working on, but uh, uh, it's not ready for release yet. You got any ideas? Yeah, what, what happens is Roger produces what's called a development version. Uh, when we've all tested it uh, thoroughly to death, then uh, he makes it, as, he then relabels it as the stable version. And so there are always new development versions coming along. Some become stable versions, some don't. Um, and what happens is, I think you all know that there's opengd77.com where you can register for the forum. And people go onto the forum and make suggestions about things they would like to see. And many of the suggestions are very sensible and may be workable. And Roger keeps a list basically, which of course, um, this project for the blind hands was on that list. And uh, at the beginning, of course, there were more important things to do that he thought at that time. And it sort of gradually came up the list until it got to the top. Um, but there are other things which people are asking for. And as he has the time, he puts them in. So it's hard to say what's going to come. I will update the package every so often. Um, but I mean, the update I did on the 27th was a very small thing, really, and probably won't be used by most people. But I probably won't update the package for every new version. But if there's something significant, then I almost certainly will. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, we appreciate your and Gina's dedication to uh, to getting this project uh, up and working and explanations and tutorials of what it takes for us to get this radio working. Now, there's some question out about the GD77S. There's several of them out there. I've got two myself. And uh, we were wondering, you know, we talked about it. Uh, would you consider if you ever had one in your hands to do a tutorial on the open 77 firmware and the CPS for the GD 77S? Yeah, I think we uh, discussed this a little bit the other day and you had, you, you bent my arm up my back a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I said was, I think, yes, if I had a GD 77S, I'd see if I could produce something for it. Because indeed, as you say, there is a version for the 77S of the open GD 77. Obviously its functionality is more restricted because it doesn't have the, the keypad. Um, and also there's a version for the RD5R from Baofeng and also the DM1801. But uh, Gina's in the background a little bit at the moment, but I think we shouldn't forget that I would never have got to the end of this project without D Gina. Oh, no, Gina, uh, you're here with us. We, we appreciate all your hard work and uh, uh, keeping Ian informed on the, the uh, voice capabilities that the uh, that the software and firmware need, needed before we could actually use it. And thank you very much for, for all your uh, due diligence. I, I think Ian underestimates the fact that uh, he learned to touch type um, some years ago. He's always had a, an appreciation of, of the power of the keyboard. And uh, when I gave him Windows shortcuts to, to try to uh, accomplish something more efficiently, um, you know, he, he was able to take that on board. So he's a little bit more than an entry-level screen reader user now. And uh, uh, he's not afraid to ask you know, how, how we would do something which, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all credit to, to Ian, really. And he, he, he does free his hand quite a bit from that mouse now. 
<laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, and there's questions why why uh, only one tester, and I, and my answer would be, if we had four or five uh, JAWS users, NVIDIA users, it would take probably a year to finish what Ian Gina has accomplished in a short period of time. Uh, I believe uh, I believe that's the way it would work, don't you, Russ? I do. I mean, I think you know it's a case of where you you could ask a ham five question, or yeah, uh, ask five hams a question, and you get six different answers. So, uh, and I think it would be the same situation here. So, yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. Think, uh, I think everybody just did fine. I don't. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine it coming out any better. So. I, I mean, I mean, it's true, Russ, that um, some blind hams were not happy that I was not using them as testers. Um, but it was for that reason that um, I'd be getting, you know, half a dozen different answers. And there were hams that wanted it to definitely had to work with JAWS and nothing else. And that wasn't what I was trying to do. No, I, th I think you took the right approach and using narrator because it was, you know, a situation where if it works with narrator, it'll work with the other screen readers and, uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was the right approach. I again, you're gonna you'll always have those dissenters out there. So I would not uh, I would not let that deter you. So okay, well, good deal. Uh, it was a great interview. I think everything went well, um, and hopefully we have enough backups to uh, in case something did fail. But uh, we really appreciate both of you being here. It um, it was great talking to you. Yeah, we uh, we if we have another major update, or if you do, uh, if one of our great listeners would love to send you either uh, uh, a GD seventy seven S or uh, have one mailed to you from Amazon, uh, I, I think Ian's open to all of those possibilities. <laughs> so uh, if I got back to work, I would send him one, <laughs> or at least <laughs> order one and have it delivered to him. So uh, anybody that's curious about the GD seventy seven S. There we go. I just, I just don't want a mail van to turn up with 100 GD 77s. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, you might want to contact Ian first to see if he's got one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep your address. Probably <laughs> <laughs> a good idea, Russ. Yeah, so, email him and see if, he want, if he's got one. If he doesn't have one and you're willing to ship him one or have Amazon deliver one to his door, go for it. Because we could really use the, uh, use the tutorials. They're so great. Uh, it's it's amazing. So unless you got anything, you got any final thoughts, Ian or Gina? No, nothing else. Uh, as I said, they did a great job of answering questions, and uh, I hope they didn't feel like they were being interrogated. But uh, um, I think it was very informative. So good job, guys. Well, thanks very much, and it, it's been a lot of fun. All right. Well. Uh, Gene, you're back roboting again. I think that's a word. So uh, we'll uh, end the show at this time. And thank everybody for joining CQ Blind Hands Roundtable. 73. Yeah. Take care, everyone. A little addendum. About two-thirds through the podcast, Ian was talking about the last heard function of the uh, on the radio, the GD77. And he misspoke a button press, and he uh, would like to amend that with a little file that we're uploading after this. 7-3, hope you enjoy the podcast. On the 27th, I 
released uh, another update package and mostly it's just small bug corrections but there was one uh, added feature. Uh, a lot of people have enjoyed using the last herd. If you hold the blue button, the bottom button on the left hand side and hit the three key then it will voice last herd. Uh, so the stations which have been heard since you last switched the radio on. And each time you press the SK1 button, that's the middle button on the left hand side, it will voice the next last heard with the talk group and how long ago it was heard. And if you'd like to speak to that person, if you then hit the green menu OK button, it will set up a private call to that person. So when you press the PTT, you'll be putting out a call not to a talk group, but to that individual person. And so you're making what's called a private call. I don't know how many people are going to use that, but um, that's what it does.